This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast, Tuesday, February the 14th, with an extremely romantic Tom Urquhart joining us for Valentine's Day. We have been doing what Richard Dean would call Valentine-nomics, crunching the numbers when it comes to chocolate and a dozen red roses. Speaking to the guys from Joy Gifts about what we're buying and how much we're paying for it, uh, and also getting some numbers from Spinney's there as well. Slightly less romantically, it is earnings season. We've been speaking to Raheel Ahmed, who's the CEO of Rackbank, looking at their earnings. The growth and their net profit is at a decade high. We find out why. We've also been turning our attention to matters happening not a million miles away from us, down the road at the Madinat Jumeirah. It is the World Government Summit. We've been speaking to some of the big business leaders who are speaking at the event. One is Yuri Levine. He's the co-founder of Waze, the mapping and technology app that they sold to Google for just over a billion dollars. We've been getting his take on the chat GPT frenzy. We've also been speaking to one of India's richest men, a beloved business founder, Sridhar Vembu, who's the founder and CEO of the cloud computing company Zoho. We could go through the earnings of banks and oil companies, or we could look at the economics of Valentine's Day. get to do it once a year, although Tom's argument uh, for his lack of a romantic street is that for him, it is Valentine's Day every day. There would be many out there who would disagree with you on that one, Brandy, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. You've been very much in the bar humbug camp all morning. It's not, it's not that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not not romantic, as you were. I'm not an unromantic, but... I just don't see why you have to save it for one day and why you have to, I literally have to save for one day to spend oodles of cash on on just expressing yourself for one day. You're just going to surprise someone in the middle of August, are you? I mean, and and then everyone goes, yeah, does that that mean that you do it? No, of course I don't, you know. May I put you on the spot, Tom? When was the last time you bought your wife some flowers? The end of last year. Okay, I suppose it's only six weeks ago. (laughs) At the end, of, yeah, for our wedding anniversary. Oh, okay, right. So you had a good reason there. At least you remembered it. It's difficult to forget it, really. It's Christmas, isn't it? Huh? Christmas? No. Or New Year's Eve? Same day as my daughter's birthday. Good heavens, you pack it in, don't you? Yeah. She was born a year afterwards, just to clarify that one. I wasn't right? asking. Okay. Yeah, wasn't, the, the I old wasn't mine. Asking. I saw the old cogs in the mine there, you know, working overtime there. That would have made for an interesting wedding day, wouldn't it, hey? <laughs> Excuse no me. <laughs> I think I might have to exit stage left here. Um, so yeah, no. I look. It's just it's 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 marketing gone mad, you know. And that's the whole thing. That's the beauty of Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day wasn't a thing until Hallmark got their hands on it, and Hallmark turned it into something, and it has become a marketing branding masterclass the world over. 
Well, it's working. This Valentine's Day, according to the National Retail Federation in the US, is going to see one of the highest spending years on record for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is inflation, that stuff's just going to cost more. And we're going to hear from the guys at Joy Gifts uh, to ask them how much um, people will be spending and how much more they'll be spending just because the price of commodities, food, etc. has risen. It's certainly going to impact uh, restaurant costs around the world. But it's also that people are buying for more than just their significant other. Uh, again, the National Retail uh, Federation in the US say that people are also buying for friends and co-workers and pets. And if you think the pets sounds maybe a bit American. I'd just like to say that apparently it's us as well. We heard from Tom Harvey of Spinney's this morning. He got in touch with some stats and he said, it's a massive day for flowers today for them. The biggest one day flower sales all year. They'll sell as many today as they would sell all month normally. Uh, Ditto for for chocolate. It's the biggest one day spend. And he's quick to say that it's not because they're jacking up the prices for, uh, for Valentine's Day. It's just that people tend to buy a nicer class of chocolate Uh, for their Valentine Day, but he also said that they will have a 10% lift, a 10% increase in sales on pet products today. Yeah, that seems to be one of the, and uh, uh, like you said, that seems to be a bit of a global trend, seeing reports of of an increase in price for pets um, the world over, the United States seeing that, the UK seeing that, and as you said, Tom Harvey reporting here as well, that that's something they're seeing. Again, I mean... I'm not. I'm not going to start, you know, being bar humbug when it comes to pets. I don't need uh, animal lovers to be anti Tom as well. So Fido's sitting at home, thinking it's just words, isn't it? It's just words. He doesn't really mean it. Yeah, but no. I mean, again, and why? Why are they doing that? Because they can, and because the fact that there are um, organisations take advantage of that and producing Valentine's gifts for pets. Well, we've been in conversation this morning with Rami Cahal, who is the CEO of Joy Gifts. And one of the things that Tom asked him, getting straight to the romantic heart of the manor, are we seeing increased prices affecting Valentine's Day? I mean, we've been getting mixed signals. For us, we continue to grow. Uh, We're on our growth uh, trajectory. Uh, However, what we've seen is, for example, this Valentine's Day, a similar uh, average basket, but more distribution. So we're seeing some customers are being price conscious. They're opting for cheaper SKUs, you know, entry level, 12 your 12 roses, hand bouquet, etc. But then on the other extreme, we're seeing customers with uh, who are, you know, showing more love with the, with the size of their basket uh, to their loved ones. Uh, so all in all, I think uh, the average selling price has been constant compared to last year. So... How much has the price of red rose risen and how much does it rise just because it's Valentine's Day? It has gone a tire definitely this year. So the markups, uh, there's a typical markup every Valentine's Day season. Typically, it's around 15 to 20 percent. We've seen slightly higher than that, around 40 to 50 percent this year. Good luck. (laughs) Tom also asked him outside of... I mean, because they're expensive anyway, especially here. I mean, flowers are expensive here. And, and that's one of the things that has prevented me from buying them here because they're expensive and they're flown in, the majority of them. Is this your eco stand, is it? Are you just being climate conscious? I didn't even think about that up until now. Yeah, I'm, 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 this is my carbon net zero footprint um, reduction thing, not buying flowers because they've been flown in. And they don't last very long either. 
They don't last very long. And I know that, and it's got, they've got so much better. And I'd love to speak to the flower industry here because I know that they've, I remember when I first got here all those years ago and you were very limited as to where you could buy your flowers. Um, and they were very, uh, and even the sort of range of flowers very limited. Now, I mean, it's amazing so what, what's available in, in many of the stores and we've got so many options now of where you can buy them. But it is true, they don't last as long as they do in other parts of the world. With good reason. They've flown 4,000 miles to be here. But I'm almost sure there are some local growers, though, aren't they? There are now, because it's part of the food security um, initiatives. So we focus a lot on fruit and vegetables uh, being grown in the desert. But you are seeing a lot more flowers being grown here as well, which is great news. You know, if we can if we can if we can encourage that more, then who knows? Maybe we do have our little sort of flower stands on the sides of uh, street corners um, during a little further down the line. Maybe not. Ten dirhams for a bunch be. of daffs. That's, that's going to be tough, though, isn't it? Because that's, that's outdoors, isn't it? And they are going to wilt very quickly, aren't they? This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Yeah, let's talk earnings now, if we can. As we mentioned a little bit earlier on from the energy sector, um, good numbers coming out, Ad not drilling, targeting one billion profit in 23 after a record year from the utilities sector. Good numbers, Empower hailing unprecedented success after 762 million revenue for the year. And from the banking sector, good news as well. None more so than from our friends at Rackbank. Rackbank delivering the highest annual profit growth in over a decade with a net profit uh, and a growth of over 53% year on year. That's not the only headline to jump off the uh, balance sheet after these earnings report. Rackbank's Q4 net profit jumping 27% on higher customer deposits as well. Absolute pleasure to welcome into the studio uh, the CEO of Rackbank to reflect on those numbers. Rahil Ahmed. Rahil Always good to see you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Tom. Um, extraordinary numbers. So congratulations to you and the entire team as well for the hard work, uh, especially in your first year uh, as CEO as well. Uh, Ratbank reporting its highest ever annual profit growth, up more than 53% year on year. What do you put that down to? Yeah, so I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, boring uh, and say the same thing that I said last quarter. It's the three M's. Uh, macro mix and momentum for us. Macro, I think, uh, is pretty, pretty evident. The UAE has uh, been through a very good year uh, on the back of great fiscal policy, great monetary policy, how they manage the COVID crisis, and that has definitely helped us. Uh, the GDP has grown. Uh, uh, the, the numbers, uh, both deposit and lending across the banking sector, has increased. Uh, mix of business has been critical for Rack Bank. I know and when I come and talk here with Richard, he always talks about us being the SME bank. It's still a very, very critical sector for us, but SME lending now only represents 20% of our balance sheet. 40% is wholesale or corporate banking and 40% is personal banking. So we've had a change in mix and momentum. Uh, we are delighted that our customers like the service and the experience they get with us. And we have seen double-digit balance sheet growth on both sides as well. So both on the lending and the deposit side. Well, let's take a look at both sides of the aforementioned balance sheet there, if we can. And it, allow me, if I may, to throw another M into the mix in terms of management, or rather the management of costs, managing right. costs within that period as well. How have you been able to do that? Yes, yeah, so I think it's a lot of uh, prioritization, focus, and efficiency. 
we have been automating, we have been digitizing. Uh, you know, AI is becoming a big thing, but we are investing hugely on data, on automation. I think the level of digitization in the economy as a whole uh, allows us to be very digitized as banks, and I know the central bank is very focused on that. So, so we've created efficiency, we've created synergies, but we've also upped our investments. If you look at our capital expense, that's up 30, 40% over last year, and I think that will continue as well. So, so it's, a, it's a combination of all those things. A growth across the board, and the more so than revenue as well. Have you seen a bigger growth, a larger growth in certain sector? Where's the biggest growth come from when, when it comes to revenue? So I think uh, naturally, in rising interest rates have helped the whole industry. We are not, uh, uh, we are not, uh, you know, an exception to that. Although our balance sheet is a lesser mix of uh, variable rate loans. The interesting change that we are seeing, especially in the SME sector, that trading has reduced, and local services, local manufacturing, local contracting is on the rise. Uh, and that shows that the resilience of the local economy and the growth in the local economy is getting many, many more businesses to focus domestically as opposed to using UAE as a trade hub. And that's that's been quite a big growth factor for us as well. And one area that we've seen extraordinary growth in one way or another is, of course, the real estate market yeah. as well. Continues to boom, regardless of what might be happening in other parts of the world as well. Uh, mortgages up at the moment. Have you seen any impact there? No, interestingly, uh, as I mentioned last time, uh, for the first time, I think after 2009 in Dubai, 57% of the sales were on off-plan property, so higher share than, than I think after the last financial crisis. So clearly there's shortage of stock, which is now coming rapidly back in the market, uh, but that has driven up both prices and rents. Uh, we have seen a lot more cash buying at the at the upper yeah. end of the market, but the mortgages haven't slowed down despite uh, despite the increase in lending rates. Some of that is also due to the good regulatory policies where we were doing stress testing and you know looking at affordability um, over the previous years, which meant people had room to you know upgrade or buy new homes as well. Crunching the numbers as well, customer deposits also increasing at the moment, growing. What? When you look at that data and when you look at the, that sentiment, what does that tell you about the market and the sentiment out there? Yeah, so I think strong sentiments, uh, we, uh, the whole market is fresh with liquidity right now, which is actually good for lending because naturally when you have so much liquidity, the lenders are not pricing their loans as high as they perhaps could have. Uh, so there's, there's huge competition to get the asset side of the balance sheet growing. But we have seen growth in deposits, both coming from abroad and domestically here, and I think that's a, that's a uh, that's a downstream impact of the of the uh, government sector, the private sector, uh, you know, working on projects and getting more and more income and revenue. So mm. the, the market is truly flush with liquidity. I think to the pleasant surprise of most banks. And one thing we try and get our head around as well is population growth. Yep, the, the National Statistics Centre help us out with that one. It would seem that the population is growing extraordinarily quickly here at the moment um, in terms of the population numbers across the whole of the country. Are you seeing that in terms of new customers coming through the door? Yes, we are. I mean, just to give you a sense that uh, uh, almost 70% of our new SME customers were startups with less than one year in business. Right, which is quite extraordinary. We usually get 60, 70% people, uh, companies that have been here. But we have seen a lot more of them coming in. We are seeing a lot more of our new retail customers coming into the country, and they're coming from all parts of the world. So I think, uh, and I think with the golden visas and other types of visas, 
perhaps it's slightly more difficult to count how many people are actually living here, but I think the number is growing very rapidly and we are seeing that in our numbers as well. With all of that evidence that you've put in front of us as well, the opportunities look very, very good in terms of 2023. More growth? So yes, definitely in the first half. I think if the global recessionary uh, depth is uh, continues to be getting more and more shallow, then I think we could see a very good second half as well. Uh, there are concerns naturally around us. Uh, you look at many of the emerging markets which are dependent on oil imports, where inflations are increasing, their uh, macroeconomic ratings are decreasing. So there is there is turbulence around the region. Uh, but as we all know that UAE sometimes benefits from turbulence because people then, fl- you know, there's a flight to quality uh, and we always win in that space. So approach with caution, but looking forward to it. Optimistic. <laughs> always cautiously optimistic. Quite right, Rahil. Uh, always good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. And I know it's a busy time for you at the moment. So thanks for, indeed for coming into the studio. Pleasure and congratulations to, be you. to you and the team for those numbers as well. Rahil Ahmed, who is the CEO of Rackbank, reflecting on what has been uh, a record year for them in 2022. Cautiously optimistic about 23. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're continuing to speak to the great and the good of the business world who are here for the World Government summit. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. And our next guest says that you should fall in love with the problem, not the solution. That is the title of his newly launched book. It's a handbook for entrepreneurs. He is the co-founder of the navigation and the traffic app Waze. Uh, Yuri Levine is on the line to us now. Yuri, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Happy to be here. It's been a decade since you sold Waze to Google for more than a billion dollars, a company that is now in the middle of a big disruption in Silicon Valley in the form of AI, chat, GPT. Is it the problem or is it the solution for tech at the moment, do you think? So, you know, at the end of the day, we speak about uh, disruptive technology like ChatGPT, but the real thing is what is the use case, what people are actually going to do with that, because disruption is not about technology. It's about the uh, change of behavior. It's about change of market equilibrium. Now, in this particular case, what we are starting to see is that the younger generation is actually going to ChatGPT instead of Google search to, to look for information. Um, and that might be disruptive to Google. What do you think it will mean for, I mean, I'm thinking of Waze and Move It to um, massive uh, tech apps that you've been in, involved in, um, but also the, the way that apps are developed in the first place? You know, when, when we started the journey of Waze, we had the mission to help drivers to avoid traffic jams. And, and this is obviously um, a good cause, right? And so it's a good mission. And, uh, and in that sense, the problem is worth solving. So, so I think that anyone that starts with a problem and try to address that problem, um, if that solution turns out to be successful, then it's guaranteed that you're creating value. And when you're creating value, um, then, then the impact that you're going to make is dramatically bigger. So, so this is why I would say start with the problem. Well, let's look at some of the, uh, the areas that you do dive into in your new book that are particularly pertinent at the moment. You've got a section on how to fire and hire and say that the firing is actually more important. Why is that? 
Um, so I spoke with many entrepreneurs that their startup failed and asked them why, and, and about half say the team was not right. And I kept on asking, okay, what do you mean the team was not right? And they told me, you know, we had this guy not good enough or this guy not good. So not good enough was the main reason that I heard. And then I asked them the most interesting question, when did you know that the team is not right? Now, it was actually pretty scary. All of them said within the first month. So he said, wait a minute, if you knew within the first month that the team is not right and you didn't do anything, the problem was not that the team was not right. The problem was that the CEO did not make hard decisions. Making hard decisions is hard. Making easy decisions is easy. This is why firing comes first. Firing is a hard decision. Hiring is an easy decision. And to a certain extent, I would say one of the most significant conclusions of, of this chapter is Every time that you hire a new person, mark your calendar for 30 days down the road and ask yourself one question. Knowing what I know today, would I hire this person? Now, if the answer is no, then fire them immediately. And this is why I say learn to fire first and then you can go ahead and hire. We also give advice on, speaking of hard decisions, knowing when to sell up and move on. It's something you've done, obviously. How do you tell? At the end of the day, this is gut feeling of the management, right? If, if the management wants to sell, then it's very likely that the deal will happen. But in general, I would say as an entrepreneur, you should consider three things, right? The first one will be, is that going to be a life-changing event for you or not? If it is, then start to consider that favorably. If it's not, then, you know, keep on building value. The second one is... Is that once-in-a-lifetime company for you, or do you actually have in your mind other startups as well? Now, if this is once-in-a-lifetime, then maybe you should want to consider to keep it. If you already have plans at the next startup, then, then it's time to move on. And the last one is actually, is this going to be a life-changing event for the entire team that went through the challenging journey, right? And so all of your employees and everyone else, is that going to be a life-changing event for them? And if it is, then start to consider that favorably. Oh, Yuri, you're going to be on stage in a couple of hours down at the World Government Summit talking about what governments can learn from entrepreneurs. What are the main lessons um, that governments and authorities can take from your book? So some of the challenges of government in, in, in the, when they try to actually introduce innovation or change is, number one, is, is time scale, right? So, so change takes time. And, and you need to prepare for that and you need to realize that it is possible that um, the results are not going to happen in your term. And so the guidelines should be, what is the right thing to do for our children, for the next generation? and not for us, because it might take longer than that. In the second part, which turns out to be the most dramatic, is fear of failures. In general, I would say governments have a high fear of failures, and therefore, if you have high fear of failure, then you don't try new things, because you cannot go wrong with doing the same thing that we did yesterday. But if you want to change something, then you will need to start with, uh, um, with a different approach. And obviously, um, this approach might work or might not work. And the fear of failure is one of the biggest limitations that we experience with government's behaviors around the world. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning and good luck for your session this afternoon. Yuri Levine is one of the headliners today at the World Government Summit. He is the co-founder of the navigation and traffic app Waze, which then went on to be sold to Google for more than a billion dollars and is the author of Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution, a new handbook for entrepreneurs. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's now tell you more about the Zoho Corporation, which is an Indian multinational technology company that makes computer software and web-based business tools, uh, best known for the online office suite offering Zoho Office Suite. Uh, It is, of course, the brainchild uh, of the company's CEO, uh, an Indian business magnate and founder of the corporation, uh, a man who uh, built uh, his uh, name and his company over in the United States has recently moved back to uh, India uh, and has been recognised for his extraordinary work uh, not just in the world of tech, but also uh, for his philanthropic work. He was, in fact, awarded India's fourth highest civilian award, the Padma Shri, uh, back in 2021. And he's joining us here, live in studio. It's a warm welcome uh, to the CEO of the Zoho, Cooper- Zoho Corporation. Thank Shredda you. Thank Vembra. you for having me. Shredda, thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's very Thank kind you. of you to join us. And thanks very much indeed uh, for taking time out of a busy uh, work schedule uh, here in Dubai. Um, Thank you. The United States, heading over to the US states, to the Bay Area, the boom of Silicon Valley, etc. And setting up your own corporation there. How big a deal was that from working one of the big companies, tech companies in America, and then along with your brothers deciding, you know what, why do we not set up our own company? Yeah. So really the impetus came from the, the, the sheer amount of talent coming out of India. And this is true in the US. I mean, the US technology industry now... So much of it is run by Indian talent. And India has now got 1.4 billion people and 23 million kids are born a year. Mm. Demographics, really. And there's a lot more talent we could see. So what could we do in India? That was the, you know, this is back in even 95, we could see this. And that's how that whole company got started. It's gratifying to see that now we are about 13,000 employees globally. Mm. We have actually 120 employees in this region, 50 in Dubai itself. Now it has come a long, long way since it was just what a hunch that there's so much talent, you could build a really big technology company out of India. As you said, proudly based out of India, but with a global appeal yes. as well. You mentioned there about the office here in Dubai, the employees yeah. across the region. How, and we get very carried away, Chidra, when we talk about the tech hub that is Dubai or the UAE. Yeah. Is it a tech hub for the region here? Could it, does it have the potential to be? Yes, actually we have grown our business has grown 10 times in the last five years. And it's actually the fastest growing region for us in the world. In fact, India and Middle East are now neck and neck in terms of growth. Some quarters, Middle East will be ahead, some quarters, India will be ahead, but it's two of the fastest growing regions. And the tech adoption is skyrocketing, particularly cloud, mobile apps, all that for business. And we are very much in that eye of that whole thing, prospering from it, which is why growth and we are actually planning to double our Dubai, Dubai workforce in the next year. So from 50, we're going to 100 people. We're taking a larger facility. We're running out of room. So we absolutely see massive tech adoption, digital transformation. We are benefiting from it across the region. I want to get your thoughts, if I may, just on the sort of the wider industry as a whole. We know that tech is Mm. suffering a little bit at the moment, certainly with layoffs. Um, That may well have come from the fact that these companies just grew so quickly uh, during their heights as well. Um, When we see the layoffs in big tech companies, and I must reiterate, we're not really seeing it here 
in the UAE, here in the region at the moment. We are over in the US, we are in Europe as well. Is that a concern for you? Yes, broader global economic conditions are challenging in tech. But in this region, we are actually still growing very strong. We are growing quite fast. That's why we are planning to double the workforce in this region. And in fact, we don't think other regions will grow that much this year. But in the Middle East, we are planning uh, for a massive expansion. And it's also because the tech adoption is accelerating here. Mm. Efficiencies, the digital transformation, the productivity coming from this technology, all of that is very visible to customers. We have uh, now more over 150 partners across the region. They are reporting very bullish prospect ahead. And I just go back to the point, you know, one of the reasons that you set up Zoho Corporation, um, talent and the amount yes. of talent in India, the amount of talent yes. here in the region. Days were that people always had to go to Silicon Valley. You had to go to the Bay Area to make yeah. your name. Yes. Is that still the case? It is rapidly changing. In fact, the cloud itself, the kind of tools we provide, it already is distributing this uh, worldwide now. And that was the hunch. In fact, Zoho, we originally started with the vision that you could work from anywhere. Mm. In fact, it's a play on Soho. So small office, home office. So Zoho is the, just a, a variant of this. So we had this vision 20 years ago. But it's gratifying to see this come true, particularly in the pandemic era, this came even more. And so now we are seeing that the, the overall, where I my own uh, uh, perspective is that jobs are going to go where the talent is, demographics are which is very much, if you look at India, Middle East, this is where demographically richer regions, which is where the technology jobs are going to migrate. Well, I'm glad to hear that there will still be jobs as well, because yes. according to the latest analysts, you know, ChatGPT are going to take all of our jobs tomorrow. Yes, one side, see, there is a, when you, uh, when you actually uh, build a highly productive machine, yes, the, that immediate sector, the productivity will skyrocket, prices will come down, jobs will disappear. But the jobs around it, will accelerate. Mm. So here's how I say it. The technology, the software may become cheaper, but the way to get it adopted, because software doesn't live in isolation. It has to be adopted by customers, industries across, whether it's finance, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's trading, all of them, real estate and uh, healthcare, they have to adopt the technology and benefit from it. That cannot be done by AI. That has to be done by humans. So you will see a lot more jobs helping customers adopt, get the best value out of the technology maybe fewer jobs in the production of the technology. That's how the jobs will distribute. So it's the enhancing of the benefits exactly. of AI. So and and every, seg every automation before, the, the prediction of doom and gloom on the jobs front never materialized. The same, I believe. Humans are very creative and we'll figure out something to do. <laughs> Phew. You know, you know, at least we, we put my nerves at rest for a moment there. Um, uh, listen, give us an idea of, of the, you, you mentioned there the growth for yes. Zoho here in the region as well. What's the sort of timeline on that at present? Uh, this next year, we are planning to double our force here. That's the current plan. And we are taking bigger facilities right now. So from 50 to 100, we'll grow. The overall region also is growing. Maybe from 120, we may go to 200. We are seeing across the region, all of Middle East, Africa, all of this, we are seeing really robust growth. We have announced one of the, the first tech company to accept in pretty much all the currencies in the whole region. Now, we don't require them to pay in US dollar. We actually accept the currencies and we do the all the legwork to, to convert it. So all of this is customer friendly and we are seeing a boom in the market. And potential growth in Saudi Arabia? Yes, huge, actually. In fact, we are setting up a data center because that's something that every country now wants. So we are right now setting up a data center too. 
Uh, and just finally, a quick word on you, if I may. I know it's great to see the company booming at the moment. We get to see the company agreement. You and I were just chatting off air before we went on air about the move back to India for yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, are you at one with the move back after all those years in the US? Yeah, about 30 years almost I spent in the US and then moved back to not just India, to a remote village. It's about 650 kilometers from Chennai. And Chennai is one of the four big yeah. cities, five big cities. It's a tiny village, about population about 1,500. My nearest city is about 50 kilometers away. Amazing. Near city. So that's that's how remote it is. But I have you know, dual fiber optic links. I get 500 megabit per second of speed. So you know I'm able to run this company from there. But what is interesting is, see, these are the demographically rich regions. From my village, there's at least 15, 20 people in the Middle East alone. Wow. Maybe some four or five in Dubai and some in Qatar and, and all of the places here. So these are the places that produce the workforce of the future. So I wanted to see, you know, personally part of my demographic prediction is you have to go where the talent is. So I've opened a school there, training in technology, a lot of that. And we have Zoho Schools of Learning that is also bringing in young kids, rural kids and training them in technology for these jobs. And that's and that, that I believe is uh, going to be wave of the future because in technology we used to complain about sh- talent shortages. Yeah. So now I say, where is the talent being born? Let's go there. So that's <laughs> Shruta, we've got to leave it there. We could talk for hours. Unfortunately, yeah. we have to leave it there. So kind of you to pop Thank into you. the studio. Thank, Thank you. you for Thank that. You. Founder and CEO you. of Zoho Corporation. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts. <laughs>